with any prevout. I don't want to champion it right now from an activation perspective. I think the community is pretty split right now on what to do, but we can build the knowledge and build up the tooling. Hey, Jonas. Hey, Merch. We are back in the studio for a productive podcasting week. We have Instagibs Greg Sanders. So what should we talk to him about? He's been looking a lot at uh, mempool policy improvements, and I think we're going to talk about V3 transactions, package relay, uh, his recent work on ephemeral anchors, and then how that all uh, hopefully compounds to us getting Ellen symmetry eventually. Yeah, Ellen symmetry, otherwise known as L2. I guess he's, he's championing to get rid of L2 and call it something better, more descriptive. He has my axe. All right, cool. Uh, enjoy the episode. Good morning. Hey, Greg. Morning. Welcome. Should we be calling you Greg or Instagibs? Uh, What's your preferred? Fine. Greg, Either's fine. Greg's fine. Greg. Okay. Yeah. Welcome, Greg. Nice Glad to have to you in here. the office for a couple of days here. And today we are going to talk about some of your work, some of the things you're thinking about. You've been around Bitcoin for quite a long time. And um, coming in, dipping out, come back in, yeah. doing some different things. Second no. round around the block. No, I've been in the industry the whole time, but yeah, my open source contribution comes in and out depending on what my interests are at the nice. time, pretty much. Okay. So what are your interests these days? What are you thinking about? So these days I've been focusing on a couple things, but it focuses mostly around mempool policy and also L2, uh, the application of any prevout. As a, you mean LN Symmetry, right? Oh, that's right. I'm rebranding <laughs> it right now. It's called LN Symmetry instead of LN Penalty, which is which means um, you can use any prevout to basically have a symmetrical channel state for uh, Lightning Network channels. Yeah, we're going to dive into all of those things. Let's start with Package Relay and work up from there. Right. So there's been this idea for many years that you know, the peer-to-peer transaction uh, layer, you basically want to be able to propose a set of transactions at the same time to a node. For example, one transaction could be too low fee, but you can spend an output at a higher fee and do child pays for parent. So this works today if the parent transaction is, the fee is beefy enough to get in the mempool on its own, but maybe not enough to get mined in a, in a reasonable amount of time. But it doesn't work if the fee is too low. So for example, uh, if you wanted a transaction that's zero fee, Right? Maybe you don't know what the fee is going to be, or you're basically done this smart contract. For example, like L2, you can't actually siphon off any fees. So you need to somehow pay for the fees. There's a few concepts of how to do it with consensus changes or smart you know, SIG hash changes. But to do it in a policy way, it seems to make sense to have this uh, package proposals that you pass around the network. And how might this relate to some other terms that we've heard in terms of pinning attacks and things like that? CPFP... Uh, child pays for parent, it actually like can cause and mitigate pinning uh, because basically if you have a shared transaction like a commitment transaction in a Lightning Network with your counterparty, they go to chain with a too low fee version and then they spin off their own child pays for parent that's actually not good enough, then if you want to RBF that, it's actually very expensive. And so that's one version. There's many pinning attacks. Basically, if you want to know what a pinning attack is, read BIP 125 and look at all the rules and say, how could I make this more difficult to uh, actually uh, robustly uh, fee bump a transaction? That's, that's pretty much what I do. But there's been a lot of people thinking about it, working on it. And then recently, uh, so 
the last couple of years or so. Uh, Gloria Zhao has been working on uh, package relay as a concept. And then she was thinking initially, I think, more on the, you know, how do we gossip these? How do we put these in the mempool? But basically kind of a drop-in replacement for single transaction relay in a sense. But then she realized that, wait, there's all these pinning attacks. She was talking to people who said like, well, there's pin here, pin there. And it just, package relay by itself was insufficient, I guess is the point, for robust uh, fee management pretty much. So the mempool is now sort of become a crossroads for layer one and layer two in terms of discussions. It's also, it's a problem. It's it, hard. It, it's hard. And, and so, like, are we thinking, given that you're thinking so much about mempool policy, are we thinking about a pretty big rewrite in terms of how it works? Are we thinking about sort of mitigation steps on, you know, DOS vectors that are currently there? Like, how do you approach it? Yeah, so the current mempool policy is very DOS-aware uh, because we want to make sure that denial of service is expensive, at least, right? In, in an ideal sense, um, the denial of service would be someone spamming the chain with high fees, right? They're just outbidding everyone. That's kind of like the so-called ideal case where they're paying for the DOS, you know, and so the attack is limited until they run out of, basically they'll run out of funds eventually, which we saw in 2017 or something. We had that crazy, you know, backlog, months-long backlog, mempools full, completely full for months. Whoever that was ran out of money pretty much because of the... Uh, that was a malicious attack? I think so. At the time, I wasn't convinced, but it's pretty obvious. Like, the volume is just crazy, uh, even compared to today. I think there was some research on how all those outputs got spent later, and it's been a while since I read this, but uh, they could tie it together, so it definitely looked like it was there was at least one entity that was yeah. stocking I'm, the mempool. I'm not this a was block size? This was like block size? Block size wars war stuff, time. yeah. And it's not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but also it doesn't have to be a conspiracy, right? It could be one guy just cranking out, you know, they have some Bitcoin to burn, they want to make a point, they do that. It was so bad that transactions were being dropped from the mempool, like, permanently. Yeah. And I know a guy who held on to a copy, and then months later just dumped, like, hundreds of megabytes of other people's transactions I back noticed. into the mempool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so um, that's a little fun uh, history that we haven't seen since, because things have been mostly clearing out in a, you know, weekly out. fashion. Turns out a bunch of people are, uh, we're not aware that when stuff drops from the mempool that it could come back because it's yeah. still a valid transaction and they didn't invalidate those old versions and uh, they, they paid some people twice when this cache of old transactions got resubmitted. Uh, that might have been a digression. Back to the kind of architecture. So it's very DOS aware. But there's also like actual users, right? So there's wallets and there's smart contracts. And I think they're actually closer than some people let on from, a, from the sense of as a wallet, I'd want to robustly fee bump. But right now there's all these issues with it, right? So for example, the Bitcoin Core wallet, it's kind of a self-made limitation, but I've seen this in a number of other places where I'd say, well, if one of the outputs has already been spent, I don't want to double spend that parent transaction because it could be very expensive or I'm not sure how to calculate the right amount, you know, so on and so forth. Also just, uh, you don't want to surprise the counterparty. And, yeah, uh, TXID like stability and stuff like that, which is also another concern. Like uh, custodians or payment processors don't want to cycle TXIDs on people and because people don't understand it so it's yeah we, a lot we need, of software tracks by txid instead of by yeah. payments i mean even informationally right a customer says like oh i'm seeing this transaction coming and i'm getting paid then disappears they freak out say where did my money go right, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like a real problem i was just talking to someone yesterday that uh it's a customer support so problem. 
you know. Expensive. Um, so the question is like, how do we fix this, right? So there's the big architectural override of how the mempool works. Like, just rewrite everything. Like, okay, do something really, really smart, maybe DOS resistant. I, I think there's, there's just, the design space is so huge. Right, I'm talking, I think it's like a decade of work in some ways, right? Or we make the problem simpler. And so this is kind of the direction that a few people were thinking, I think Suhas, Bluemat and others, but hadn't really written down like a proposal. And so Gloria and myself and a few others kind of started thinking about how to make something that would work today with, in the short term I would call it, with minor changes to, for example, the Lightning Network could use it with minor, minor changes versus something that would be bigger or more disruptive. And so Gloria has the package relay work, and then on top she calls it package RBF proposal, also known as uh, V3 proposal, where basically you pick a new version, uh, transact Bitcoin transaction version three, and you basically say, okay, I'm opting into a simpler topology of unconfirmed transactions. And so a mem the mempool policy is basically, it's like a handshake agreement. Okay, you want to make a parent transaction and you might want to fee bump it and we're going to let you do that. So basically you have one parent transaction and up to one child transaction. So it's a parent-child relationship and the child is limited in size, which fixes, uh, so basically the package size of two, which fixes some pinnings, if you go, go read those rules, and then limiting the child to a certain size, which fixes rule number three, which is the common one people point out, which is basically you have to replace all the total fee of all the children you knock out of the mempool, which can be prohibitively expensive. And even if the child is not like uh, going to be mined in the next two weeks, right? Um, it's just absolute fee uh, considerations. Um, or, or, yeah, in the old style, up to 100 transactions can be replaced. And, yeah. of course, the total size of all that. Yeah, so, might, might so that's, that's rule five, I think. It's uh, up to 100 transactions. That's all fixed with here because you can only knock out two times the number of inputs that you double spend pretty And much. if the confusion is not enough, BIP 125 does not actually fully align with what's implemented in That's Bitcoin right. Core. So, yeah, so Gloria <laughs> did some great work uh, communicating not only what the, cons like she's done some great talks you should go look up, but also documentation about what are the design decisions of the mempool as today, descriptively, and then also some like prescriptive notions. Um, so in the Bitcoin Core repo, you can see that there's these uh, markdown files that have a great explanation of like why things are the way they are. Because when I was like interested in mempool policy in 2017 or so, it's just kind of a spooky science. You know, it's it's witchcraft a little bit. Like, why is this here? Why is this code here? Who really knows, right? I mean, if I cornered Suhas in a room, I could probably get an answer out of him. But really systematizing that knowledge and getting it down and communicated to the wider dev community, at least, was very important. And that's what she did. So, right. So that's the V3 package RBF. So it basically says, I can RBF this parent efficiently, right? Right. So yeah. to recap, there's uh, one transaction, and mm -hmm. it has to be a version 3 Bitcoin transaction. That's right. So there's versions all over Bitcoin. We're not there's talking about one segwit versions there's, or There's two versions. standard ones today, version 1, version 2. Version 0 is never standard, interestingly yeah. enough. Uh, and you could have negative numbers, too, but those are not standard either. So, for example, version 2 is required if you want to use check sequence verify. That's right, relative time. Locks. Yeah. And so that's why, and anything above two is also 
in consensus, anything two or above has relative time locks. So that's the natural next number is three. It has no additional consensus meaning, but um, from a policy perspective, you can open up a new door perhaps. Right. So uh, you would label your transaction as V3 and then your a node would only permit a single child up to a thousand V bytes, I think. Yeah, it's and, an arbitrary number. Yeah. But so in, in the worst case, the attacker can do almost 101 kilobytes. So let's call it 100 to round it off. So really you're looking at about 100x reduction in the rule three kind of damage they can do, if you think of it that way. And no additional children, which makes the whole pinning topology and more And the difficult. child must also be V3. And V3 is implicitly uh, replaceable at all times. So even if, if there's no full RBF in the network, it, there's a problem with signaling inheritance with BIP-125. So even if the parent, like version 2 today, if the parent opts into replacement, the child doesn't have to. It's kind of a loophole in some ways. And so you had to fix that loophole as well. So basically, uh, they're always signaling replaceability by being V3. Yeah, so it's simpler topology. We don't, based on this topology, we don't know any major pinning vectors for this one because it's easy to reason about. And basically, the hope is that if you have it there, then wallets can have can opt into this new regime where it's a simple way of doing fee replacement um, for smart contracting proposals, vaults, uh, things like that. So now we have this proposal out there, and how are we going to use that? Well, so, I mean, the canonical example, I guess, would be something like the Lightning Network with commitment transactions. So it's the uh, kind of challenge response regime of Lightning Network where you need to be able to quickly get the last state on chain if you if you need to go to chain, right? The attacker today with the flight network, if the mempool is full, they can take a transaction and then basically put a really large child or many children, low fee, and then stick it in the mempool, and then it makes it inefficient, I guess, uh, uneconomical to replace, essentially. So you're just burning there. The counterparty is burning your, fee, your funds pretty much. So that would be one. Uh, another is batch payments. Today, it's when you're doing batched payments, payouts to like many customers, for example. Um, it's unknown if your customers are going to sweep their funds doing something stupid. Uh, so it's very hard to consistently RBF a transaction. So theoretically, you could use that for RBFing if, if they're okay with the TXID changing in this example. And I, I also call it, I guess, a uh, RBF carve-out. So this policy is like a carve-out for RBF behavior replaced by fee behavior. Cool. So tangentially related to that is a proposal to reduce the standard transaction size. And so what? I, yeah, that's actually, I think it's, is that in 24? Is that yeah, it? was it? Mm. it? It's already merged into master So in Bitcoin Core. So yeah, it's fairly tangential. But um, one thing I was looking at, and I, I noticed that I interact with this problem every three years, and then I forget I did. But um, there was a uh, CV. There's a uh, security issue with SPV proofs in Bitcoin because of the way Satoshi designed the Merkle tree proof. And essentially, basically, it's a way of if if some miner had some hash, if some attacker had mining hash power, they could make a fake proof, and then trick someone who doesn't fully validate the chain, right? And this basically means. Uh, transactions of size 64 bytes could theoretically make a fake proof possible. So because it's just the size of the two leaves when you're doing 32 bytes plus 32 bytes, 64, it makes it look like an inner part of this Merkle tree, but it's actually a leaf. It's actually a transaction. You know, it's not a TXID, it's a transaction. So, um, so you could pass off a TXID uh, right. as being part of a Merkle tree where it's actually not. 
Yeah, so things like tap trees, they're not vulnerable just because it's like a common mistake in Merkle trees, and Satoshi fell onto this one. But yeah. anyways, so there's this, uh, it was kind of secretly found and reported. So Bitcoin Core instituted a uh, restriction that anything less than 82 bytes, I believe. Uh, you worked on it. Why are you looking at me? Yeah, uh, I, I didn't make this 80, batch. It's like 82 something. bytes because it's saying, okay, if you have a SegWit input and a a pay to witness pub key output, which is like one of the smaller outputs. How bits, big yeah. how big would this transaction be? And they said and they said, okay, we're we're going to do this. Anything smaller than this will not be relayed on the network because uh, it costs too much to like allocate memory or something. They just made up made up an excuse, uh, which covered the sixty four byte case. And this is witness stripped, meaning non witness data. And that's why that's why, you know, 82, that number shows up, not 100 and whatever, Mr. Bitcoin right. Calculator merge. Uh, so if you take off the witness data from a native SegWit transaction, the no out point is 36 bytes, the uh, empty scripts again, so on, is 41 together, plus 31 for the output is 72, and then 10 for the header is 82. Yes. There you go. Check so that. that's, that's the number made up, so it had some idea idea of legitimacy, but it was just hiding another, another issue. And then um, after it was revealed, uh, I made sure to add a comment in the code base because I found it very confusing. So there's this comment there. And then I was like, I started running into this like use case where they have small UTXOs and people just want to burn them to fees to clean up the UTXO set. But you'd actually, an op return output, so you did this 82 math, right? And that's assuming, was it 22 bytes in the script pub key? It's a push, zero byte push, 20. 22. Eight for the amount, one for the uh, length yeah. of the script, and then 20. And, and to make an op return, uh, the, the most compact op return, you only need one byte, the op return itself. You don't even need a data push. It can just, it's provably unspendable. So that saves you 21 bytes in burning, and maybe that's the difference in cleaning it up or something like that. You could also do batched cleanup of UTXOs to make it bigger. But it was just kind of like, I've seen this few different developers talking about async people, Peter Todd. And then also I had some other work I was thinking about building on top of V3 uh, package RBF proposal where it also make more sense too. So um, basically the debate came down to, well, should we disallow 64 bytes exactly or anything less than 64 or what should less the range or equal, yeah. yeah less or equal and what should the range be and basically i had my opinion people had other opinions and for now uh the, this release the 24 25 i'm not sure bitcoin core release um it's going to start becoming standard to spend down to 65 strip bytes yeah so for example if you have an op return output or an op true output uh, you could now have a transaction that is 65 bytes but you'd actually have to stuff it with a few yeah, more so bytes of you'll stuff op, stuff op return with like four bytes or something like that yeah so which is still a you know pretty good improvement yeah, yeah. and it's also just easier to read the code it's not as easy as uh disallowing 65 64 only, but you know, that's a quibbling for me, I guess. So um, let's get back to the main thread, which is our march towards L2. So the next um, um, L1 symmetry. Is L2 tr truly dead as a term? Well, no, no one's carrying it except for me, so I can pick whatever I want. I see. The, you know. the, the problem really is that the term is such a naming clash. And, yeah. Um, 
It and, sure is. And, and for context, I say LN penalty to refer to the current scheme. I Lightning see. Network with penalty. Yeah. And I, I specifically mean the bolts that are in today and that flavor. of. I, I've heard that before. I think that's somewhat established now. Yeah. So I'm just putting it out there. When I say LN penalty, I mean, look at the bolts today. What's deployed today, essentially. Yeah, the whole thing with punishment uh, transactions. Punishment transactions and and even um, the way the transactions Yeah, the commitment transactions the are built. Yeah. So l- let me ask a question. The asymmetry in the penalty mechanism is a deterrent. Yes. Are we going to have something similar in L2? So this is where or, I was saying, sorry. I'm calling that LN, <laughs> LN symmetry. And then there's uh, LN penalty. So I call LN penalty this way. The transaction structured. You can also do uh, any. So for L2, you need any prev out, which is essentially omitting the previous output. So you can. Uh, they say rebind, but when I implement it, it ends up being you just bind. You never. You only bind at the last second. You say like you pick your UTXO at the last second that you're trying to spend based on the state update of the channel, right? That's hit the chain. Where is I going with that? Oh, so there's with any prev out, there's actually a number of flavors of architectures you can pick. So. Um, there's one called Daric, D-A-R-I-C. Uh, it's got a paper. It's well written. It's got a nice table. It's, it's actually very consumable to an engineer um, that has uh, uses any prev out, uh, m- maintains penalties, but they restructure the transactions to be, uh, in my opinion, like simpler and superior to the current architecture, even beyond APO. Um, just the way the transaction structures cleaner. Um, it removes things like second stage transactions for HTLCs, all this pre-signing of other stuff, and it brings down watchtower state and node state down to O of 1, using any prev out specifically, right, uh, to reduce this state. Um, and then there's, uh, that has 100% penalties like Ellen today, Ellen penalty. And then Ellen symmetry has no penalty, Ellen symmetry has no penalty mechanism, because uh, it's what I also call vanilla L2, which is just kind of... Um, you just have a series of state updates, and then once the dust settles, the settlement comes out, and money just kind of flows out, right? I I kind of feel that, yes, it doesn't have an explicit punishment, but you do have to bring your own fees, yes. right? So you so. do have to pay money in order to broadcast an old state. Yeah. And strictly speaking, if you assume that either a watchtower or the counterparty is active, then eventually it will settle on the last state. So you are just strictly initiating by paying. However, the other party has to pay for the update. So you're paying the it same amount. It seems like so it's worth a try, so, right? Um, it only is worth a try if you know your counterparty is going to be offline and not come back in a reasonable time, in my opinion. I mean, the other party has to pay for the second update. Yeah. So so you pay the same if you broadcast the old or the yes. new. So but you do burn your reputation if, too. Right? If you so. have to go on a unilateral close, the incentive is to pick whatever is nicest for you. Now, there's the other one. Uh, if you know you have the last version, it means you can get your funds out faster. Like, because if the counterparty comes online, they reset the clock. So there is like a little bit of there, but maybe you'll go for the thing with the biggest balance or something, right? That's true. Yeah, and I mean, rolling the dice or having a, you know, putting putting in a pitting attack or like... I I suspect um, economic arguments for, it's basically economic arguments to stay online, stay cooperative. And then if you're not cooperative, there'll be defaults. I don't know if people make defaults to try to cheat. It'll be interesting to see. People also see when you do a unilateral close. And um, I think they might be able to find out which side initiated it. Or or both parties in the channel might just be tainted. Um, in, in the Elon symmetry case, it's, 
it's uh, it's completely symmetric. And adding asymmetry just... Yeah, so a lot of people say we still need a punishment. Otherwise, how can we ever make sure that people collaborate and are nice? But honestly, if you look around, there's like no no unilateral clauses that go awry. The incentives are you want like going on chain when you could have gotten mutual close or stay online is obviously worse. So the question is, what is incentivizing? My argument is that keep your node online, and I don't think people are going to close on you. Like, right? I just don't think so. As long as it stays symmetric, it's of course much cleaner and easier to to build, and the watchtowers are simpler and smaller. And there's other architectures too, kind of in the middle, where you can opt in to a certain amount of fees. They can do fractional fees. So Anthony Towns has a some write ups on this. Yeah, that that was interesting. With I believe it all works, and so you have this kind of different flavors. So I think I've been implementing the L2, uh, the L symmetry version of it, and I've proven out and written a spec for it, bolt for it. And uh, so I think any out fits pretty much any of these buckets. And a lot of these same tricks that we've developed for on symmetry can be reapplied. So for example, uh, reducing the uh, state machine for committing to updates, right? In Lightning Network today, it's one and a half round trips. Like, and basically, and it's actually asymmetrical in updates too. So, so you're basically sending each other updates all the time, and eventually you converge if you stop proposing updates. But there's a possibility that it just continues to diverge. And, and from a spec perspective and a reasoning perspective, it's really tough to think about. I think um, my work on Ellen symmetry has been much simpler to think about. Right? There's exactly one set of state, and the same would be uh, with Daric and. Anthony Towns version two. Basically, it's there is some asymmetric state, but you don't have to do asymmetric updates if that makes sense. Right. I think so you pick uh, a leader, they propose updates, and you rotate. The the gist of AJ's thing was that the payout for the commitment transaction is bigger than the input. So when you go for closing it, you have to provide more funds in order to have sufficient. F- funds to create the outputs and that's asymmetric so the the closer basically has to pay more since the state's asymmetrical you can also just reduce the amount of output so the cheat path just decrements the the cheaters amount by you know as, as many satoshis as you want so of course this is a cla- you have to agree on this amount and it could be an interesting threading the needle situation where people want a little bit of penalty but not a lot because i know i know a number of people who are with big money that who don't want to put big money in a lightning channel because it's just super scary. Like an honest mistake can be a hundred percent loss. That's it's uh, it's really scary. And so any prev out isn't the first proposal to make L2 happen. So it started with Sikash no input. Yes. And that seemed to be Yes, yeah, so there's Sikash no input. That was Christian Decker. Was it a full I bit? Think AJ, I think AJ was running with that. So so AJ also did his own any prev out and then it was separate, and then they basically combined. So at some point, they combined the concepts. And this is BIP 118, uh, which hasn't changed in a while. It seems pretty static. I, well, the text has changed. The the, uh, the actual format hasn't. And it's built on Taproot. And um, it, it's, it's very comprehensively described on anyprevo.xyz. I think that website's going away. Yeah, Joff says he's letting the uh, website expire, the certs or something, so or the domain or something. It was just like two days ago. But yeah, so it's taproot only and only in tap script spans. So basically it's 
it's kind of a mild incentive to say, hey, don't try to use this for normal transactions, right? Because this rebinding thing is pretty powerful, meaning kind of dangerous. And you don't want to use it for everyday spends because this would mean like uh, address reuse can end up in losses pretty much. Although as far as I understand, APO also makes you commit to a specific amount, right? So any UTXO that has the same script there's, pub key? There's two amounts. Uh, two, sorry, there's two versions of the flag. Yeah, there, there's any prevout, any amount, and there's any prevout. Any prevout, any script, which also allows any amount. And this doesn't commit to the uh, script that it's signing for. And then there's just any prevouts. These are two uh, versions of it. Um, I ended up using, I think, any prevout, any script only because the reattachment to reattaching over scripts is pretty important for my use case. And it seems like any prevout was marching towards next in line, but it sort of got caught up in the covenant kerfuffle as well. And so how does the, I mean, as a, as a champion of the soft fork, like how are you thinking about the sequencing or not, or hmm. have anything to Sounds do with like it? a loaded question. Not as a champion, <laughs> are you talking about yourself? I'm not the champion. I'm, so I'm no, I'm no champion. Cur currently I'm, <laughs> You know, championing softworks is really hard. Um, historically, I, I went through the history, and I, I'm trying to think of the last softwork that was primarily championed by its author. And I, it's like, check lock time verify, I think, with Peter Todd, I think. This is the last one. Because check sequence verify was written by Mark Friedenbach. He left, he left the effort, and then BTC Drac took it over and dragged across the finish line. We have Segwit, which is a little different. Everyone on their, and their mom wanted it. But, you know, so Peter... Not everyone. <laughs> everyone that's still mm -hmm. around. Everyone. <laughs> everyone that didn't want to schism already for other reasons. To be, Let's just be honest, right? right. Uh, there's a reason. It's a different community, right? And it just showed, it, showed, its, uh, showed the truth. It's just different communities and it needed a split. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that people ended up just splitting off in the end because we don't have to be married to each other, right? If we don't want to work together. And Bitcoin's about working together. So um, Segwit was like written by Peter Woola, but... I don't think he really championed an activation. I think he allowed like a BIP9 activation to get merged and then he didn't lift a finger when it was floundering because he's like, you know, I'm, I'm okay waiting years to get it. It's pretty much his response, which I think is a valid response to it. And then with Taproot, he literally did nothing to drag across the finish line aside from make sure it's high quality, high quality tests, uh, things like that. And it, we relied on other contributors to take up that. So I think I, I've made this axiom, I guess, is I think the author should be different from the champion because it's kind of this self-invested, it's too much self-investment, I would say. And also it's a signal, if you're championing your own proposal, a correct signal, but it's a signal that the uptake's not there, the mindshare. So Jeremy Rubin with Check Template Verify, it's got good stuff, and I'll, get, I'll circle back to what I like about it, uh, uh, the effort. But it seemed to be kind of too much on Jeremy's shoulders to champion it. You know, other people would look at it. Some people would say, yeah, it's good. And then go back to their day job and, and not lift a finger to help. And that ultimately hurt it, right? Um, there's a bit of a renewal in that space with Opvault because it's kind of a super set of behaviors. So maybe we'll get to revisit that behavior, right? I think that for a few of those software proposals, there were also just a bunch more authors, so it felt like it, there was yeah. more mind yeah, share of course. already. Yeah, in I guess if you have 50 authors, but I mean, that's kind of yeah. crowding the boat. But essentially having more than one person really active in evangelizing the tech and getting the use cases out there. Now, what I really liked about Check Template Verify was all the tooling being built to prove it out, right? And so that's part of the effort here is with any prev out. I don't want to champion it right now from an activation perspective. I think the community is pretty split right now on what to do. 
but we can build the knowledge and build up the tooling. And also, uh, side note, basically I'm going to, eventually when I get this stuff all merged, and there's a lot of like preparatory work to get there, a lot of quality of life improvements for Core Lightning right now. Um, but once I get there, then I can port this over to the Liquid Network, which already has these crazy covenant, powerful covenants, and I'll essentially do an AnyPrevOut widget. So use introspection to, to emulate AnyPrevOut and launch it there. So, it's, so yeah. with Core Lightning on the Liquid Lightning Network, you'll be able to test already LN yeah. symmetry there and then... Yeah, still have to get package relay and all that, all the stuff, but it's like a, you know, a roadmap to getting something that's usable and simpler. Yeah, We're not going to use Litecoin as our, as our no. activation Do playground you know. anymore. <laughs> they're they're so, finally doing their own thing. Yeah, they are doing their own thing, actually. Mimblewimble uh, extension block. Oh, boy. Yep. yep, they're off on their own, which is great. Okay, so the sequence of events is package relay, underway. Then we have APO, underway. <laughs> sort of tooling uh specs uh like building on top proving it out okay and then we have ln symmetry underway yeah. yeah so building ln symmetry is a is kind of a necessary preparatory step right proving out that it actually does what we want at the beginning i was i started doing research on it and i basically ran to well how are we going to pay for fees for this because um these update transactions they they can't have fees because you're contesting who has the money. And there's no penalty to draw from. There could be any number of updates. So how do you um, not siphon off the channel funds while you're doing these updates, while you're doing this challenge response period? So since any update can bind to any predecessor, the amount of money that is available has to be the same for every transaction so that uh, you can still pay out the same amount. So linking them all together cannot leak money. So since there's no fees, no money left for fees because uh, nothing is going anywhere else, you have to bring your own fee. So Merch could say, well, why can't you just use SIGHash single, right? So it's one input, one output. And then using SIGHash single, you can attach on your own inputs and outputs as fees, bring your own fees. Well, then you get back to this pinning issue because every update could be pinned 100x or something like that. With Sikash single, any any muggle can and, come along. And, and uh, so the classic example, also even without the spam attack, they could uh, your counterparty can bundle the attack, can stick yours along with a bunch of other people's, attach a fee to it, and say somebody has to pony up all the funds to bump this transaction. It's a bundling like grief attack, and so basically that's no good. And so I was thinking of more um, robust ways of doing this, and this is where. I came up with the idea of ephemeral anchors, which is, uh, I'll dive into this now. So in channels today in Lightning Network, you have this anchor output, which is some, it's like 330 Satoshis, kind of a useless amount, just to make it relayable. So, and so maybe someone will clean it up in the future. And do you need one or two of them? Uh, today you need two, right. because you can't collaboratively double spend each other safely. You know, there's key material and you need to be able to basically spend your own independently to fee bump when necessary. Um, so basically every single time there's a unilateral close, at least one of those anchor outputs hangs around. Yeah, it hangs around. There's a, uh, a time lock, like 16 blocks or something. So once it sits there for 16 blocks, then it becomes an anyone can spend type thing. 
but if fees are high, it's not going to get swept, and or if the pre-image is not known, that sort of thing, it could it could happen. But also, it's the siphoning off. So you're siphoning off this value with this anchor output. That's a no-go, right? So I need a zero-value anchor. But a zero-value anchor means you have a zero-value output sitting in the UTXO set, which is also no bueno, right? But we have package relay in this mystical new world that I'm trying to build with other people, of course, uh, but this, this L2 world. So perhaps we can use package relay and say, okay, if you propose a package and a transaction has a dusty looking output, allow it if and only if it gets spent in the same package, right? So in this V3 context, this is more simpler to think about, does the parent have an output that's dust, that's okay, as long as it's spent by the child. There's additional rules on here. I mark, I actually mark the output by using the opcode op2, which is one more than optrue, <laughs> uh, because everyone uses optrue for testing, so it just breaks like a million tests, so I'll just pick the next one. That was actually a Luke Jr. idea in 2017. I found old emails talking about this kind of, uh, the similar idea. So it's an op, it's a script of op2, which means no key material needed and no witness data needed to spend it. It, it resolves the uh, dust act to true automatically because yeah, there's a, only a value that is... Yeah, and the script interpreter says, like, is this truthy? And then it says, yeah, this is truthy. And then and then it's uh, successful to spend. So it's watermarked that way. So it says, if, if you have an output like that, it must be spent. And you can only have one of them. So each parent transaction can have one of those. Uh, it means the, the parent has to be zero fee for mempool policy dos reasons there's a lot of complexity here right if if the parent had more fees it could get mined by itself right That's and right. then dust output would hang around also if the child is evicted for rbf and doesn't spend the parent so like the child gets evicted and the parents alone we want to make sure the parent is not mined by itself yeah that's the other one um so there's a couple ways of doing this. so zero fee ensures that Uh, it'll hang around by itself and the miner won't pick it up. Or if a certain set of patches happen, it can get evicted too in a cleanup pretty much. Say, oh, you're zero fee, get out of here, right? And basically you have this one parent, one child topology and it must be spent. Therefore, it's like a mutex lock for, for spending an output on the parent. So if someone is spending a child, someone's spending an output from the parent, you can RBF that spend no matter where it is. And so I think this is very powerful for when it comes to, um, let's go back to Lightning Network today. If we had ephemeral anchors, we'd make uh, two keyed uh, anchors of 330 bytes, become one zero value anchor that doesn't require any key material. And then these outputs, let's see, certain outputs in the, in the LN penalty case would work. Let's say the to remote output, which is, um, let's say, Alice and Bob are in a channel. Alice goes to chain with her version. <laughs> Alice went to chain with her commitment transaction. Bob can immediately sweep. If it's the correct, let's just say it's the last one, Bob can immediately take their balance, their remaining balance, non-HTLC balance. They can just immediately spend it. But that's not true today in the mempool because it has a time lock and things like that. So you can't actually child pays for parent using that output. Well, the counterparty can, but Alice cannot. No, they're all time-locked with one-lock CSV because of pinning. Because you can't spend the anchor then, right? So if, they, if they're allowed to spend in oh, the mempool... Oh, because the anchor output is yeah. the only one that can be spent. And now we have one anchor output that can be used by anyone. Yeah, so we can, in all these outputs, we can drop this one-block CSV relative time-lock. They all have them because of this pinning issue, except for the anchor. The anchors do not. Right, so we can drop all these concepts. We can go back to like more composable scripts, mini script compatible scripts. 
these things are not manuscript compatible because you're adding in these like random locks everywhere. Um, it also helps with things like splicing, where you say, I want to splice out to an arbitrary destination. But you can't really prove to the other person necessarily that it has a one block CSV to stop pinning. And maybe it's like a Coinbase address, right? And they're not going to hand you one of these. They're just going to give you, you know, pay to witness pub key or pay to taproot or something, right? Uh, so from a composability perspective, you can like take this. If we rework it, then you could have a channel with one anchor, no value draining out of it. All the outputs are immediately spendable. Well, within the, some are not because it's a challenge response period. But the immediately spendable ones can be used for child pays for parent to bring fees up by itself. And also things like splicing and you can splice into a new funding output versus and not have to like prove that there's a time lock in there and stuff. You don't have to tell your counterpart anything. You just send them funding funds here and it ends up being some other smart contract, right? So I think it's really powerful from a composability perspective as well. I could talk about one more, it's the motivations for Femmeranchos from a use case perspective. So one of the kind of use cases that really strike, stuck out to me is um, that with ephemeral anchors, you can completely partition your, your custodied funds, so the funds inside a smart contract or inside a set of keys, right, versus the fee Bitcoin, right? The Bitcoin you're bringing for fees. These are like two separate concepts. Yeah, we in, in a personal wallet, like if you just pull out a wallet, you're generally commingling them. And it's okay because you're a person, you're just one person, you're not an LLC even necessarily. But from a custody perspective or from an accounting perspective, it's kind of a nightmare. For example, at, I worked at BitMEX for about two years and basically there's very strict accounting about where Satoshis go. Once Satoshis off, like alarms start going off, right? It's like, hey, where'd this go? And you have to account for it, which makes accounting for fees really tricky. Um, you either make it kind of hacky or you kind of sort of lie to the system, hey, there's not that many Satoshis here, and then you secretly use them for fees, because from an engineering perspective, you just want to use them in the, in the correct engineering way, not from an accounting perspective, right? So an ephemeral anchor means, you know, a custody provider can do like, like a batch payout, put an ephemeral anchor on there, and then like the wallet ops team can run a different wallet, which grabs that fully signed transaction and attaches their own inputs to the child pay, uh, child pays for parent setup, right? And so basically you have clear separation, clear delineation of user and, I don't know, engineering slush funds. Oh, and you, so sort, of, and you sort of lose that pop-up that's like in, a, in a, an exchange that says, you know, this is why you're paying fees. Yeah. It's like essentially the, the company would pick up the, the fees for you. Yeah, and that's the natural thing. It's really terrible when you have to tell a user to pick fees. So BitMEX did do that for Bitcoin. I'm not sure if they're doing it anymore. I can't, I can't be a user as a U.S. citizen. But um, it was pretty awful because, like, you're, yeah, you're forcing them. Because of this restraint, which was very, you know, it's prescient in some way. Uh, they were built in the aftermath of Mt. Gox. But because of this and this lack of engineering flexibility from a relay perspective, you had to like have a slider and say, like, how many Satoshis do you want to send as a fee? It's like, you don't even know how big the transaction's going to be. Like, yeah, so essentially having an engineering uh, wallet ops kind of slush fund for fees, I think that works much cleaner. And it incentivizes them to get the fees right, as opposed to the sort yeah. of like overpaying. They, that they charge users, a, they basically target, say like, uh, fees are sort of like this, and they set it static. And then basically... If they make money, it goes in the pile, and the fee pool pile if it drains, you know, you expense it or whatever. And yeah, as I'm listening to this, you know, it, it strikes me that you have this 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 long timeline with a lot of different features, and there's a sequence to making sure that a, a bunch have to get in before you're you're able to do the the next sort of stop in the sequence. But it also seems like each of these features in isolation is a value add. Yes, and so definitely. 
you know, package relay, this has been talked about for a very long time. It's on its way. At least 2013 or yeah. something. I, um, as long as I've been in the space. It's on its way. Ephemeral anchors seems quite valuable just on its own. Is that the case for any prev out as well? And as, a, as a consensus change, the bar is so high, right? It can't just be a nice thing to have or a really nice cleanup, but it has to ever in us degree, right? Because you're encumbering other people with logic. Right. E- you know, even if they run like uh, Libbitcoin or sure. um, whatever, right? BTCD, everyone has to sync up on what this is. And everyone has to, you know, if we, if we find out that something's wrong with V3 or whatever, we can always change it in the future, right? With consensus change, you can't really. As, once people put money in, you can't just freeze that pattern, right? That, so that the stakes are just much higher, I would just say. And But I, I guess I haven't heard of any prev out being championed outside of L2 or outside yeah, of L2. Yeah, that's another, that's a good, that's a great question. I was just talking about this yesterday. I was like, any prev out has, it's, it's pretty powerful, but only has a few use cases where it really hits a home run, I would say. Maybe that's big enough, right? Maybe it's just the biggest home run, right? One, one grand slam or something. But it's also possible that uh, it depends on your theory of what a software should do, right? I, I think it, it, it makes things like channels simpler to reason about and build, um, whether you like penalties or not. Um, so I think for that, I think it gets a nice big green check mark. But it doesn't wax your car. Doesn't make vaults exactly. You can do some kind of like CTV emulation, sub some parts of it, but it's not a superset or a, it's not a. It's bigger and less powerful, or something. yeah, it's the you know they're intersecting circles in a Venn diagram, so to speak. Um, so it can do some things that are interesting that are like by uh, byproducts. Like you can get you can basically with any prev out any script because you're emitting your own script, you can stick that you're signing for. You can stick the signature in the script. Like self-referential and say this transaction must be look like this, and it only commit in a, basically you can commit to the shape of the uh, the outputs and the lock time and so and, and sequence things like that. So it does some like quirky things like that. But if we really like that, maybe we should have CTV or maybe we should have Op Vault, right? So that that's like an open discussion, right? And then this is where all the contention is, right? It's um. Not all the contention, but of the who is next questions, this is this is a big one, right? Should we be aiming really small, missing small, you know, doing doing the kind of key killer product releases, so to speak, and then focus on the future, maybe more systematically, or I don't know what the the solution is here. But I mean, I, I'm I'm really focused on uh, there's like a pile of things to improve today's consensus regime, so I'm kind of focused on that for now. But you're going to stay away from activation for now, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that is a seemingly a pretty think, big open question. I mean, I don't know how much of this is Twitter psyop or whatever, but people seem pretty contentious about it. They're like mad that people are making new releases of Bitcoin Core almost, right? Like, just why do you need to work on it? I think these people don't have no idea what they're talking about because they don't understand how security works or build systems work or anything like that. Or that software just also ages in the context of what operating systems are. Yeah, that's what I mean, like build uh, chips and so forth. Yeah. Software is just... Not Try building something that hasn't been touched in 10 years, you know. It's, yeah, exactly. It's kind of a headache. So I, I have to wonder how much of this is just like Twitter nonsense or is real. I mean, in the dev community, I think it's a little less contentious in some ways. People have their preferences, but they understand the pluses and minuses of those. I think a little better. So it's a little more respectful, I'd say. But L2 seems to be... Uh Sorry, Ellen, symmetry uh, seems to be supported across the board. 
Some people still like penalties. Now I still think, well, maybe we should just look at getting any prev out and do dark, right? Because I think it's like a wonderful cleanup to the current protocol. If you had dark plus femoral anchors and stuff, I, I could make you a very nice set of bolts, uh, bolt specs that seems very nice and shorter and, you know, watchtowers are much easier, that sort of thing. So I think there's still some choices to be made, but maybe maybe there's enough to start. I mean, I need feedback from people, right? So when I talk to people, they say, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about L2 or L1 symmetry or these kind of setups, but they're all busy doing their own thing, right? And they're busy trying to stay away from politics. Yeah, I totally and, get that. Dark is not something I've actually heard of. And so why is that not more and not, not louder? It's an in academic paper. And yeah. I don't, they didn't do much to spread it in the kind of dev community, but it's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's a well-written paper. I think um, Shinobi pointed it out to me. He was, because uh, there's there was one, there was a predecessor called Generalized Payment Channels, which was kind of, I'm not going to say garbage, but impractical. And then it was like, Dark was like a successor that was a much more practical instantiation. Um, and actually, it seems like they understand the problem space, the engineering problem space, much better somehow, even though they're academics. So kudos to them. Cool. Well, it was really great having you. This was a good talk. Thank I enjoyed you. it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming in. <laughs> he is very articulate about those subjects. I like, I that was a good episode. I'm, I think I may have led him astray a few times and we got a little bit in, on, on different branches in the conversation. That's what this is all about. But now you can totally talk to all your friends about APO and Lens Symmetry. And <laughs> That's right. You know all the acronyms and you're going to be a hit at the parties. <laughs> okay. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll try to get another one out soon. Bye. Bye.